you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to John chapter 16. We've been in John for a good season of time now. And, um, and uh, the songs are gonna, that we just sang are going to make a little more sense almost as we go forward this morning. Because we are going to talk a lot about wonder and about mystery. I love this quote. If you haven't gotten lost in some mystery today, then it hasn't been much of a day. And I think it's true that if you aren't often in wonder and amazement, I think you must be half asleep. This is a church. This is a place. We talk about this often. In fact, it's the very first part of becoming a disciple of Jesus is worship and to be in awe. We're a church that's fiercely committed to wonder and to awe and to amazement. And here's why. We have a really big picture of who God is. One of the basic things we're trying to really drive into our kids is that there is a really big God that they can trust no matter what. And we want that to be true in their lives and, and for them to be able to see it. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit here for a good season because that's where the text is. And we're going to continue talking about the Holy Spirit and I just, again, as I study and think about this stuff and start to put stuff down and think and pray and go, God, what do you want us to know as a church? What, is it, what does it mean for us to look at these words that you said? Where do you want to go with this? This thought struck me that, you know, before jumping into quantifying what the Holy Spirit does, I think it's true that we should be careful to just simply marvel that the Holy Spirit is. Before assessing and charting his movements, to simply be amazed that you and I have been invited into this dance and relationship with God. And if we miss that, if we move right into quantifying and looking at and measuring and, and all of this stuff, what happens is we can, we can kill the relationship in this. So I, I want to do that. I was thinking about this, that we, we celebrate... The name Emmanuel, which is which is God with us. And that's the wonder of Jesus. Well, God in us is the amazement that is the Holy Spirit. We just sang that song by West King home inside of me. If you if you've lost something to marvel at. If a sunset just doesn't do it for you. If you can't gaze at the stars and get anything at all, begin to, to, to marvel at the idea Maybe some of you are convinced here. Maybe some of you aren't convinced. Then, then marvel at the possibility that God is speaking to us. That God would choose to, to make his dwelling place inside of, our, inside of our lives. Memorial Day. I hope you got out and did something fun. Uh, our family went out uh, and, and had a little uh, time together. We, we enjoyed it. Uh, we celebrate Memorial Day as our family's birthday because that's when my wife and I got married and that's when, our, that's when our family, this nuclear family, began. And so we always get to go and celebrate together. And um, I was reminded of just the unseen mystery that's all around us because we went up to go hike at, at uh, kind of Castle Rock area, um, uh, just kind of up the summit a little ways from our house. And I thought about the Santa Cruz Mountains. You know, um, here's, here's this incredible place. My wife and I often say this. We, just, we live in an amazing place. We love where we live. I've grown up here, and I try not to take for granted just the amazing things that are around us. But, you know, you take the Santa Cruz Mountains, for, for instance. There are some that are simply unfazed by it. Once in a while, the mountains catch their eye only because they're, they're driving along, and they, and they happen to look up and see them. But that's the, the, the closest they'll ever get to them. That's the most they'll ever even really think about those mountains there. I think there are some that are the casual observer. What we've noticed is on Memorial Day, tons and tons of people go hiking at Castle Rock. Most days of the week, it's pretty empty. You can cruise around. It's packed on, on Memorial Day. These are people who venture up by car. Maybe they get out and pull out on the side of the road and look a little bit, take a couple snapshots. Um, they use their SUV to get into the dirt parking lot, you know, and they're like, woo, you know, I use my SUV. Um, then there's the enthusiast. Here's the enthusiast. I think, I think we kind of fall into this camp. The enthusiast is this. It's a person who gets out and hikes. They explore. They discover. They want to learn. It's more than just, you know, going for a walk in the woods. We were cruising along and, and uh, there's a little, you know, little ladybug that was there. Having kids is great because kids stop and notice things. And if you're all about trying to get in 15 miles on a hike, forget it. That's not the deal when you're cruising with kids. They want to stop and look at things, right? So um, if you, uh, this, was, this was a little guy that came cruising right through my legs. 
And um, Ethan is our master lizard catcher. He'll catch any lizard, snake, whatever that's out there. And I just told him, if it doesn't rattle, go for it. You know, just pretty much be careful. But he, um, he grabbed this guy. You know, we got to look at it, and everyone got to touch it and pet it. And, um, you know, and then he started going. And that meant, that meant it's time to put him back in his home. That's what we figured, because he was showing his teeth to us. If you dig a little bit further, this is, this is just tearing a little bit of a rotted log off. And this is a little grub that was there. And uh, we just got to look at that. Um, if you're squeamish, turn away. We found some scorpions. Uh, these guys were just cruising around, you know, and, and uh, someone's like, look, a scorpion. I'm like, cool. You know, so we went over there and he had a cousin that was, that was there also. So we got to go and see these different things. Now, here's why I bring this up. We're just, we're just a regular family, but, but we're going up there. We're taking time to stop and look at things. The reality is, is that lots of people hiked that day and probably walked right by all this stuff that I'm showing you right here. And, and especially with kids, you sit there and you look at a grub worm, which, which doesn't phase me much anymore. But when you sit there and really look at it and then watch the wonder on their faces, it's a whole new level. It's just so fun. Then you think about this. If, if we are the enthusiast, what does it look like to have a mountaineer up there or an expert who after our day could say, let me show you all the stuff you guys missed. And that person would come along and say, do you know that if you were lost in the woods, you could have eaten this right here and survived for a week? We're like, no way. You know, I mean, we have missed so much just, just by our walk. So there's different, there's different levels of people who've experienced the Santa Cruz Mountains. I bring all of that up because of this. I think it's exactly the same way with the spiritual world. I think the spiritual world is exactly like that. That there are some people who are relatively unfazed by it. Very periodically, they look up and kind of go, huh, mountains. There are other people who kind of dabble in it. They show up at church once a week. They kind of know it's there. They get their tires dirty just a touch, but they brush their feet off really quick before they get back in the car so as not to mix the two. There's others who are, who are really trying to discover and walk and learn and grow. And then there are those who are mountaineers. They're experts. They've, just, they, 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 they've thrown everything into this because they, they're so into it. I thought about the fact that whether you ever see this stuff or not, it's there. Its existence is not dependent on you experiencing it or having knowledge of it. Isn't that true of the spiritual world? There's a spiritual reality that's there. Whether I ever experience it, whether I have any personal knowledge of it or not, it's just there. And that's really, in some ways, what we're talking about this morning as we talk about the Holy Spirit. As you go to Google Earth and spend some time, maybe on Google Earth this afternoon, and just start looking around our globe, what you realize is that we don't know very much about the physical world that we inhabit. I guess Google now has done has mapped out the oceans as well. So is it called Google Ocean? Phil, you would know this. Google Ocean. And, and they've mapped out the ocean. You know how much of the ocean we know about? Very, very little. It's very unexplored. That's our planet. Now start to just go off in, you know, what Hubble is discovering and whatnot. We're still in the physical right now, right? I mean, wouldn't you say that 98% of the physical world we inhabit is probably unknowable? To us, the, the number is way higher. But even to mankind, all the people on earth, there's just so much of it that's unknowable. And here's why I'm bringing all of this up. Is that the, the, the point of discovering all of this isn't to look at that and say, wow, man is so small. Here's the problem with saying man is so small when you, when you get a picture of all that. Is that's a very man-centric, human-centric kind of point of view. Hopefully, socially, we've outgrown that about, by about second grade. You know, kindergarten, the whole world revolves around that person. Some of us carry that, though, into our world thinking. The point isn't that man is so small. I think the point of creation is to say this. God is so huge. We serve and worship and are being revealed to by a huge God. What I'm talking about is worship. And that's why job number one that a Christian needs to keep coming back to is worship. It's the only appropriate response when you begin to to kind of get a picture of who God is and what he's all about. So let's read 
our passage today. But as we do so, we're, we're, we're hearing from a triune God. We're, we're going to hear about the Father. We're hearing it from the voice of a physical being, Jesus. And he's talking about sending a spirit. All of that, as we just sang, we him, the word him is praise. We him, the Father. We him, the Son. We him, the Spirit. Holy, divine. All three of those together making up the triune God. I'm going to read it. Turn to John chapter 16. We'll start in verse 5, go through verse 15 this morning. And as we do so, I hope something jumps out at you that amazes you. I'm going to read this from the message. Because sometimes reading it in different words than you've heard it before um, allows it to pop off the page in in sort of a a different way. Here it is. Um, I'm going to not read it off the screen, but off of my paper. Bear with me. It says this, I didn't tell you this earlier because I was with you every day. This is Jesus talking again to his disciples in the upper room. He's about to die. Later on that night comes the mock trial, the beatings, and 20 hours of suffering before dying on a cross. All a part of God's plan. I didn't tell you this earlier because I was with you every day. But now I am on my way to the one who sent me. Not one of you has asked, where are you going? Instead, the longer I've talked, the sadder you've become. So let me say it again, this truth. It's better for me that I leave. If I don't leave, the friend won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. When he comes, he'll expose the error of the godless Uh, of the godless world's view of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He'll show them that their refusal to believe in me is their basic sin, that righteousness comes from above, where I am with the Father, out of their sight and control. And that judgment takes place as the ruler of this godless world is brought to trial and convicted. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't handle them now. But when the friend comes, the spirit of the truth... He will take you by the hand and guide you into all the truth there is. He won't draw attention to himself, but will make sense out of what what is about to happen. And indeed, out of all that I have done and said, he will honor me. He will take from me and deliver it to you. Everything the father has is also mine. That's why I've said he takes from me and delivers it to you. This morning, even from your notes and your outline, you'll kind of see that uh, sometimes I feel like what we talk about in here um, fits really well into an outline and you want to write some points down. What I thought about is that I want even the way you might take notes this morning to be um, almost an illustration of what we're talking about. This idea that the spirit of truth is going to come for us. This is past tense. He's already here and that he will guide you into all truth. And so sometimes it's good to have someone say, here, write this down, write this truth down. Other times I think it's really beneficial for you to just say, these are the things I need to remember. These are the points I need to apply and put into my life. So I'll just invite you kind of at the start, if you're the note taker, if you're the one that needs to write a couple things down and jot some thoughts down, do so at your own free will and do so at the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. I've introduced a term to you if you're paying attention and read the cover of your bulletin, you'll see we have this word here that you probably haven't seen before. The idea of not, N-A-U-T, is a sailor. And I'll illustrate it this way. An astronaut is one who is a sailor of the stars. So a cosmonaut is sailor of the cosmos. That's right. In, in the scriptures, the, both the Old Testament and the New Testament constantly refer to the Holy Spirit with this idea of a word that's... It's breath or wind. And the Greek word for that is pneuma. And so this idea of a pneumonaut is a sailor of the wind. And I came across this idea that is, it was speaking specifically to Christian leaders. But it was saying Christian leaders are, are pneumonauts. And I just grabbed hold of that because I love what that conjures up for us. Sailors of the wind. I began to really think about that in light of the Holy Spirit and in light of this humbling position I'm in this morning to talk to you about this God that I've just been trying to paint a picture of for you. 
and how and how inadequate one feels. I got this image in my brain of what of what a numenot might look like, and this is what this is what came to mind. Have you seen these guys before? It's called kite surfing. I remember about ten years ago, my buddy and I are coming in from surfing, regular surfing, and a guy says, Hey, can you help me out for a second? He's on the beach. He's all strapped into this thing, and he's holding a massive kite. I've never seen this before. He says, you hold this end, you hold this end. So we're holding this guy down, and he, he digs himself into the sand, and he starts to strap himself into a board, and he launches out into the ocean. I'd never seen anything like it before, but I immediately thought, man, I have got to try that sometime. That looks unbelievable. Here's a guy ripping along. These guys, these guys just cruise along, go up to Half Moon Bay sometime. They're up there. But if you ever see them, what you realize is it's just this, it's just this really cool picture. These guys jump like, like 20 feet in the air. This guy's just starting, I guess. But these guys really fly. And, and, and the idea is that the big, giant, scary air is, is kind of part of, of the deal when, when you do this. I thought about this comparison of a pneumonaut and a Christian, and a kite surfer and a Christian, and what that might look like. And think about trying to explain this to others. Someone comes up to you and says to you this. They say, um, so, you know, what are you doing? I mean, that's basically what I said to this guy who was on the beach about a decade ago. And, uh, and they say, um, yeah, you're, you're holding on to that thing. And the person says, yep, that's what I do. I hold on to this, this handle here. And, uh, you know, someone says, well, why, why are you doing that? <laughs> you know, and they go, well, it's because of what's up there. And they go, what's up there? And they look, and there's nothing up there. And then the person says, yeah, I know. It's, it's kind of hard to explain. And as a kite surfer, I'm sure you're, you're misunderstood a lot. You're, you're into this thing, and you're doing this thing, and people aren't quite grasping all that's there and what you're doing. Isn't that true that Christians are that way? We're a strange lot. Why are you holding on to this? You seem pretty committed to that. Yeah, I'm strapped in. You know, I'm pretty much in this thing. That seems kind of weird. What, what's, what's this about, you know, that you're committed to? Well, it's a little hard to explain. It's, um, it's up there. You know, and you, you find yourself at a loss for words sometimes. You almost sound silly at times. And you just go, it's really difficult to explain it until you experience it on some level. The promise of the Holy Spirit, mind you, was the promise of a brand new thing. It was ushering in something brand new. The Holy Spirit had always existed. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. But the Old Testament experience and expression of the Holy Spirit and the New Testament experience were completely different. Remember in verse uh, 28 of chapter 14, he says, If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. The disciples are getting more and more sad. Instead of being careful... Um, caring about Jesus and worried about him and worried about the persecution he's going through. What are the disciples doing? They're doing exactly the same thing you and I would do. They're thinking about themselves. They're sad. Who's comforting who in this scenario? Jesus, the one about to go through the brutality, is comforting the disciples. Do you see how selfless this is? Do you see how godlike that is? To be like that in your greatest moment of need and trial, you're the one thinking of other people. That's the nature of Jesus Christ. And when a little bit of that gets into you and I, man, it just shines through like gold. We did a memorial in here yesterday. And the place was packed. And a story that kept coming out about this man who had passed away was this idea that he kept putting other people first. He always put his family before his own needs, well into his old age, family before his, old need, his, his, his own needs. And story after story poured out about that. That's a godlike quality. That's a godlike trait. He says it this way. So let me say it again, this truth. It's better for you if I leave. I want to see if you remember this. This is from a few weeks back where we were talking about this and Jesus is bringing this truth to mind. That it's greater to have the Spirit indwelling you than to have Jesus Christ sitting next to you this morning as a disciple. And whether or not we really believe that or not. Haven't you heard? Haven't you thought? If only Jesus were here in the flesh, I'd believe. If only Jesus were here in the flesh, I'd be so bold. 
If only Jesus were with me at the office, he'd understand. And, and then I could really live out the Christian life. Jesus is telling his disciples, it is better for you that I leave. Jesus limited himself while he was on earth to physical time and space and a body. Which meant he couldn't be everywhere at all times. While he waited at a well and the disciples went in to do something else, he was there. He's saying as the Holy Spirit comes, what's going to happen is he'll be with all of my followers, all of my family, all of the time. And he will never, ever leave you. You'll always have him there. And that's a really powerful truth. But I don't think we believe this. I think we really wrestle with this one. The, the way to think about it is this. If you, if you plastered around and put posters up and said, Jesus Christ is speaking at Neighborhood Bible Church next Sunday at 1030. I'd venture to guess most of you be here at 1029 or 10 o'clock to get a good seat and go, man, we're going to hear Jesus. Rather than thinking about it this way, rather than thinking about you as a Holy Spirit filled person are going to come and hear from a Holy Spirit filled person from a spirit inspired book. Which one would you pick? Most of us would say, give me Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, I'm shifting it now. I'm shifting it to say it's better for you that I go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. We've got to take him at his word or we need to reject that. That's the honest truth of it. And he translates it this way. I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. Jesus knew the plan. He knew the drill, what was coming. All the things that had to be fulfilled. All the, all the I's dotted and T's crossed that had to come to completion before this next phase of the plan was going to be ushered in. Do you see why he commanded them earlier to guard your hearts? He said it this way, don't let your hearts be troubled. He saw the sadness in them. You're going away, we're freaking out about that. So guard your hearts. He says, trust in me and trust in God. Once you get to know the spirit, as you get to know the spirit, not all of the spirit, but maybe this two percent that we get access to, you begin to understand and see what he's talking about. Life as a numenot is nothing if not adventurous. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we also talked about some of the roles of the spirit. The spirit comforts us. I loved the conversation last week with Rhonda and just hearing some of her story and how the Holy Spirit, right in her moment of need, right in her moment of boldly testifying, the Holy Spirit was testifying to her, comforting her. The Spirit also confirms so that we can know that we're a child of God because of the Spirit that we've been given. But what we really are going to talk about more this week is something we touched on a couple weeks ago, but this idea that the Spirit guides he provides wisdom. He provides remembrance. He provides insight. Think about this with me. God could have done a lot of things. God could have given a rule book to have a definitive rule for every last situation you'll face. You know how big that book would be? Someday you should go look up online the rules of golf. On a golf course, you can be in a thousand and one situations times a hundred. I've been in many of them. There's rules for every tiny little thing in golf. And every little nuance of the situation you can get into. And sometimes a rules official will come over and they'll deliberate for 15 minutes on whether Tiger's allowed to move that weed or not. And if it's going to obstruct and this and that, where to drop it, how to drop it, all kinds of men scratching their head. We don't know. This is golf. Think about a rule book that would somehow cover and span all of our life. Just your life. Just our culture. Just our city. Now just go worldwide and for all of time. You see how that doesn't make any sense? He didn't provide us with a rule book that would somehow get all of that. He also didn't just say, here are a ton of principles. Master these principles and this will be everything that you need to know. Again, maybe a giant textbook or a great seminar with enthusiastic speakers. I mean, you know, it's like that's not what he gave to us. That's not what he said is going to happen. Let's go back to the physical world for a moment. I decided to start counting California State Parks. And after about four, I got bored, so I just thought I'd take a screenshot. Here are the list of, of California uh, State Parks that I came up with, okay? Three pages long. Lots of them. 
Then I started to think about this. Let's say we just grabbed one of them. Okay, there's Yosemite. One tiny little dot on that map represents Yosemite. Okay, I plan to be there this summer. And whether you go to like Hetch Hetchy in the north, uh, Tioga Pass in the east, think about the valley floor. That's where Half Dome is and El Capitan and all that stuff. Uh, think about how big Yosemite is. Okay. Now, I'm going to go there with my family and we go there periodically. How much of Yosemite do we really get to see and know? Not much. Right. Let's say, though, that you decided I'm going to devote my life to really discovering this natural world and and figuring out Yosemite. And I thought if there's anyone who's done it, it's this guy. Maybe you've seen some of Ansel Adams work. It's phenomenal. He developed this whole new system of taking pictures. And Yosemite was probably one of his absolute favorite subjects. He just took tons of pictures of Yosemite. All he's doing is taking pictures. I mean, this guy lived a long time from 1902 to 1984 He took tons and tons of pictures. How much of Yosemite did he really see? Some of it, more than most. Wow. He's talking to us from behind me. That's weird. I mean, he saw more than most, but I mean, 2%, 5%, 10%. I don't know. That's Yosemite. That's one tiny little dot on our California map of California state parks. If you devote your entire life, you wouldn't even get around to even a fraction of what California has to offer. Now just take that nationwide. Here's why I'm bringing this up. What if that represents all the different scenarios that can come at you? Let's say you're not into Yosemite. You're super into, you know, lighthouses. So you want to see every lighthouse there is in the whole world. So you're a totally different interest. God, God, instead of giving us books and manuals and things that somehow are going to span all of this together, decides instead to give us the Holy Spirit. Numenots are not exactly masters of the spiritual world. As a Christian, it's really arrogant to say somehow that you've got the Holy Spirit figured out. In fact, I'd be really careful making that statement. It's not that we have the Holy Spirit figured out because we've read some texts and we've studied it, but it's, it's that we've experienced this wind, this Holy Spirit, and we've lived to tell about it. We're, we're, we're a kite surfer who's gone off like 10 feet off the ground. Whoa, we're back in and our, our buddies are laying on the beach or they're floating around in the inner tube. We're like, check this out. You know? And they're going, you're crazy. What are you even talking about? So we've, we've tasted of it and we, we get to experience it on a different level, but we certainly aren't somehow masters of it. I think about the disciples and the fact that the, the, the disciples with no books, no seminars, no training whatsoever, given this wind, given the Holy Spirit, they go off and they start the greatest spiritual movement that's ever begun because it's from God. And do you notice as you read through, I thought about the book of Acts almost as it's not really a biography, it's an autobiography. Because the Holy Spirit inspired the writers to write about it. But read through the book of Acts, it's like an autobiography of the Spirit and how He works and how He moves and how He comforts. Jesus, as He goes around and interacts with people, I love to just think about the different ways He talks to people. And and the disciples are the same way. No two conversation is quite the same. Later on in Paul's life, he says this, he says, man, I know the Spirit's guiding me toward this place, but all I know is that what awaits me there is suffering and pain. That's the part I've been told. I don't know who I'm going to meet. I don't know what I'm going to say, but I'm confident that the Spirit will give me the words to say when I need to, sp- to, to, to say them. Rhonda went to this function not to go and be an obnoxious Christian to spout a bunch of Christian dogma. Rhonda went as a friend and as a learner and as one who's hiking in the spiritual woods, so to speak. And right in that moment, when she, when she was faced with an option of, of shying away from testifying about who Jesus was or standing up and testifying, she just began to speak. And as she testified last week, her teeth weren't chattering. She wasn't nervous. She wasn't physiologically reacting to being scared about this. She was comforted in that. Have you, ever, have you ever tasted of that? Where, where you start talking and things are coming to your mind that you're like, no way, I haven't read that verse or thought about that in a long time. 
But it's the Holy Spirit bringing to mind all that Jesus said. And even in our inarticulate way, we, we stammer it out and we just testify to what's happening and what's going on and, and the, the little part that we know. And we share it. The idea of evangelism is that you share the gospel. I've got it. I don't want to hoard it. I want to share it with you. I'm, I spill it sometimes. I cut it weird. And, but here, here it is. And the Spirit's there in that moment. The Spirit, or as the message translates it, the friend comes to hold our hands and to guide us and to lead us into all that is true. Have you ever heard the Spirit say, go ahead? Go ahead. Move forward. You ever hear the gentle whisper of the Spirit say, careful? You ever hear the Spirit just whisper to you, I'm right here. I'm with you in this moment. You ever hear the Spirit of God say, run! Get out right now! Get away! It's just like a parent who's, who's, who's kind of off in the distance fading but whispering instructions. And because of the trust, because of the relationship, it's just this whisper and you learn to hear that and you learn to trust it. And your first reaction is always, but, 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 but. And then, and then after a while, you grow in it. You just learn to trust. You say, okay, this is not coming from me. It just so happens. I mean, there are way too many coincidences in my life to say it's just coincidence. It just so happens that in the liturgical calendar, which I did not grow up really celebrating, knowing about, memorizing. I think I took a test on it in Bible college. That today is Pentecost Sunday. You want know to happen on the day of Pentecost? The day of Pentecost, in essence, is when the Holy Spirit fell on these 120 in the upper room. It's the birth of the New Testament church. It ushers in this brand new covenant that says, no, no longer is my spirit going to come and rest on you and then, and then pull back like it was in the Old Testament. My spirit is going to come on every single child of God at the moment that they believe and put their trust in me. And it will be a seal. It will be a down payment to say I'm with you and you're mine till the end. That's Pentecost Sunday. That's what worldwide this Sunday people are celebrating. It's celebrated 50 days roughly after Easter. And it commemorates this day in the book of Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes and falls on these 120 who are doing what? Obeying Jesus. Because Jesus said, don't go try to do this on your own. You wait. You wait right here for the Holy Spirit. Then when you've got that, you're going to go. To try to illustrate this and think about this, I thought about this, the whole idea of wind and blowing and what goes on. Here's what, here's what happened after Pentecost. After Pentecost, the, the disciples are there. And there was a ruler that, that, was, that was kind of raised up. And God is sovereign and God allows some to rise up and others to, to fall down. I believe that wholeheartedly. And here's what Nero did to the Christians. He did this. And he made a mess of the sanctuary. No. You know what happened? He dislodged Christians. They were seated comfortably together. They were in relative safety. And they became windblown. And guess what happened? The message of the gospel, just like the weeds that happen on your front lawn when a dandelion's blown, floated on the wind to wherever it landed. And I just began to think, you know, as you're one of these floating along, how in control are you? Not very. But what if that's the wind of God blowing you out of Jerusalem? How did the wind come? It came in persecution. It came in beheadings. Go, uh, uh, thank you to Mindy. Mindy pointed out that a free audio um, book was offered this very week on Fox's Book of Martyrs. I went and downloaded it. I've got the print copy, but I've just been listening to more, some more stories of insanely brave 
men and women, but regular people who just have watered the Christian faith with their blood, basically. And in that blowing, in that dispersal, the the spread of the gospel was like nothing else. And that's what's going on in China right now. That's what's going on in Iraq right now. That's what's going on. Again, go, go to Voice of the Martyrs website and just read about this week, this month, what's happening to brothers and sisters around the world who are being windblown like you would not believe. And they're just entrusting themselves to the Holy Spirit. Reminds me that getting blown away is often scary. But it doesn't have to be in vain. When you're suffering, when you're facing persecution, when you're in a trial, do not waste it. Ask the question, Lord, why am I suffering? Sometimes you're suffering because of your own sin. Get out of it. Repent. Humble yourself. Come get some Christian accountability. Say help. But if you're suffering because you're standing up for your faith, if you're suffering because you know that you know that you know you're doing the right thing, if you're suffering because you're living from a worldview of biblical Christianity and serving the God of the Bible, then hang on and don't let it go to waste. See what God's doing in that moment. Much of my high school years was spent broken down with my car. I spent many long hours sitting on the hood of my car wishing AAA would hurry. You know what I've since learned to do in those moments? I didn't do this in high school. In high school, here's my prayer. Why, God? Why do I own a 71 Ford Pinto? Lime green, no less. It's just not fair. It was very me-centered. I'll tell you what. Now, you can test me on this, because now what's going to happen? Anytime I say it's like this, I break down the next week. So you can ask me. Now, what I try to do is this. That tow truck driver who's going to come and pick me up might well be my very next divine appointment that God had me right here in this moment to share Christ with. What if the reason you're in your neighborhood is not an accident? What's the reason you didn't get that job and you're stuck in this job is not an accident. I mean, look around you here today. There's there's so many neighborhoods and so many people and so many places that we touch just represented in this room. What if it's not by chance? What if God's got you floating right where you are? and You're saying, Lord, I, I want to be in your will. And that's the starting point. And I'm looking for cues from you. Not my will, but your will be done. You've got me in this cubicle. I'm yours. Holy Spirit, help me know how to minister right here. Help me water seeds of faith. Help me, help me scatter wildly the gospel. Let's not let our being blown away be in vain. I want to spend the remaining few minutes that I have on what it means to be guided into all truth. Because there's a lot of confusion here. And we're going to barely touch on this. What I do know is the following. That we are to follow the Holy Spirit's leadership. I do know that we're to ask the Spirit. I read through the book of Acts and there's just not enough detail for me. Sometimes I say, it says, we wanted to go here. We're on a missions trip. We wanted to go here. But the Spirit prevented us. And I just go, how? How did He prevent you? Was it a massive sign? Did you miss the connecting flight? I mean, what was it? Because God can speak in circumstances. Those who are raising money to go to Mexico, God speaks in finances. Sometimes He says a resounding yes, you are to go. And resources pour in. Sometimes He says no, and He closes doors with circumstances. You look at those and you read those. But that's not all He's offered. It also says to listen to the Spirit. I want you to turn in your Bibles. You're going to be turning here the last few uh, moments of our morning. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. And we're going to do some, some flying around. So hang on tight. 1 Corinthians 2. And starting in verse 6. Give you a second. I'm going to drink more water. I'm thirsty. 
1 Corinthians 2.6. One of the ways that the Spirit guides us and leads us is through simply inner conviction. Look at, look at verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before the time began. I love the song, Show Us Who You Are. Because if God doesn't reveal who He is, we're in the dark. We're hopelessly lost. God God must reveal it to us. Verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. One of the largest, biggest glaring signs that the rulers of this age missed it was putting to death God's Son. Thinking they were doing God's work. Remember from earlier in in, uh, chapter 16. Verse 9, However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But catch this, we have the mind of Christ. A lot there to chew on. You can unpack it with your community group this week a little bit. Write that verse down for further study. But here's the gist of what I want to point out with that. A part of how God's Spirit guides us is that He gives us inner conviction. It's an inner compass. Before you had language for it, we called it our conscience. And we said, man, there's something in us that just says this is right and this is wrong. All people are born with it. All people freely have the choice to kind of numb it over. The extreme end of that is the psycho mass murderer who has somehow no more remorse at all. And he's, he's numb to all of that. But most of us understand what this looks like. And when you become a Christian and you read the words of Scripture and you go through life, you hear that inner voice that says, this is true. If I'm ever up here and I'm saying things and you go, I don't know if that's true. But he's the pastor. He must know what he's talking about. Don't do that. Listen to that. Part of what it means to be a congregation in a church is to gather around and say, there is objective truth here. What is it? Let's talk about it. The Berean Christians were those who went and searched the scriptures daily. If I say things up here, I'm not going to be perfect. I don't want to create an atmosphere where all we do is sit around and dialogue and discuss theological. That just leads to death. And it kills the mission of what we're all about. But you ought to listen to me or a podcast or a book or anything and say, is that true? And you ought to listen to the mind of Christ that's been given to you. And you ought to listen to your inner conviction. Here's the problem. I don't know the percentage because I'm not that smart. But a large chunk of people who claim to be Christians stop right there. The reason that's not enough is because my inner conviction and the will of the Spirit is right now somewhat inextricably linked to my will and my conviction and my faulty way of thinking. It's called the flesh. And if you want to know more about that, just go read Romans 6, 7, and 8 this afternoon. It's Paul, a guy who definitely walked with God and had the Holy Spirit, and he just says, man, I've got this flesh and... I'm constantly at battle with it. So if you have an inner conviction, 
before you rush out and say, this is God's will. There's another step I'd invite you to, and that's the Bible. Turn over to Psalm 19. Go to the middle of your Bible. Look at Psalm 19. If you memorize Scripture and you don't review it often, you forget it. I say that because I had this chapter memorized a while ago. And I'm going to read it because I don't have it memorized anymore as well. Great chapter to memorize. Great chapter to memorize outdoors in the dark, looking up at the night sky and having your Bible open in front of you. Look at verse 7. It's talking about the Word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned in keeping them. There is great reward. The Bible's perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, sure, and exceedingly valuable. That's what that passage is talking about. There's such a thing as bad Bible study. Here's what bad Bible study looks like. I'll pick on Travis because I've been in his group before. Travis's group on Thursday nights meets behind that wall right there. We all eat dinner together. We're chatting about our week. We're having a great time. We go to open the scriptures and we pop open the passage for the week and we read it out loud. And Travis, our fearless leader, says, well, what do you guys think that means? And person A to the right of Travis says, well, to me, what this what this passage is talking about is it's really saying to me, purchasing new things is a way to experience the spirit's buying power. And there's this car that I came across this week and it's very, very shiny. And God's word is like pure gold and that's shiny. And I really just think what it's saying is to to move forward boldly and testify to the seller that I'm ready to buy. And Travis goes, good, good. Next, what does that mean to you? And then that person fills in what it means to them. And then what it means to them. And then what it means to them. And the worst thing Travis can do at the end of all that is go, praise the Lord, let's pray, amen. Because we all walk away thinking, wow. I've studied the Bible. We have to add to inner conviction the Bible, but we can't just add the Bible anyway because of this problem. The Bible's a very, very big book. It was written a really long time ago. And if you're smooth enough of speech and smart enough, you can start to twist and kind of make God fit any theology you want. I could draw up a little religion and start to use biblical texts that you would all feel comfortable with because I'm preaching from the Bible. And it would even sound pretty good if I could string it together just so. So inner conviction is one way the Spirit leads us. The Bible is another, but there's a potential of having bad Bible study. We're going to get more into this in the fall. One of the things we desire as elders is that as worshipers of God, we wouldn't just say I'm in relationship with God. Done. But what does relationship with God look like? A part of what relationship with God looks like is that the Spirit of God gives me a hunger for this book like no other book ever. I was a born athlete, not a born reader. God changed my heart toward that. And so what does it look like to get into the Bible? What does it look like to study? Turn with me one more time over to 2 Timothy. Very back of your Bible. Never, never be in shame to go to the front of your Bible. Look up where in the world 2 Timothy is. You'll get it. Keep at it. Moving on from, well, what I think this means to me, to, to saying, what does it mean? The Spirit inspired this. God is trying to tell us something. Why is this here? 
Second Timothy chapter two says this. Look at verse 15. He's talking to a younger pastor, but he says this. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. If there's a correct way to handle the word of truth, there is an incorrect method of handling the word of truth. It's up to us to discover what that looks like and what that means and how that happens. That's where personal Bible study comes in. I'm not even going to take time to get here, but write down Hebrews 5.11. Just write that passage down. He says, we have much more to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God, of God's word over and over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. Here's what he's saying. It's a rebuke. It's a rebuke to those of us who have accepted by faith the free gift of eternal life, which is step one. But if you walk with the Lord and you've been doing it for 20 years and you cannot share the gospel with someone, something is desperately wrong. You're desperately sick spiritually. You're anemic. It's like a cast has been on your whole body and you're just all atrophied and weird. It's Caleb here, a couple weeks old. It's cute that he can't do anything. It's cute that he doesn't eat steak. We'd all flip out if he's gnawing on big old steak. But in 20 years, it's not cute anymore. It's really tragic, isn't it? That means something hasn't gone on. There's, there's been a, a missing developmental stage there. The rebuke is this, that it's on us. No one else can do this for you to dive in and say, God, I want to grow in truth. You're going to guide me into all truth, but to follow, I'm going to do my part and come along. Second Peter says it well. Write this down too. Second Peter, just starting in verse one. Listen to how many times the word knowledge comes up here. Some churches get this wrong and they marry knowledge. The whole thing is wonder and awe and amazement are out. It's all knowledge. There's like 39 Sunday school classes and it's a big college and everyone has massive heads. No one's doing jack about anything, but they're all really smart. That's not the kind of knowledge it's talking about. It's understanding rightly, applying rightly. And if you get either one of those wrong, you get way off base. You become the social action church that's doing nothing that God wants you to be doing. Or you become the head knowledge church that doesn't have a clue what your mission is. Right understanding coupled with right application is what it's talking about. Man, we've got to fly here. Second Peter chapter one, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. His divine power, catch this, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very precious promises so that through them you may be you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, there's God's part. He's given us everything we need. Here's the wind. Here's some water. Here's a cool looking board with decals. Here's a little harness. Here's a handle. He's given us everything we need to kite surf. For life and godliness, whichever translation you have. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Here's our part now. That's God's part. Can't create the wind. Our part is this. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. You are to add knowledge to your faith. And to knowledge, self-control, and self-control, perseverance, and perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. How's that for a list to work on the next 20 years? By the Spirit's help, that's exactly what we're to be about. 
For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. It's possible to have knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and be ineffective and unproductive. Go to that passage in Hebrews if you need a rebuke in that area. Right understanding and right application. Add to this Psalms 119 where it talks about submission to the the word of God and a reverence for the word of God. And meditation on the word of God and just chewing on it and soaking in it and saying, God, let this dominate my thinking. I end with something that I'm going to call the Numenots Creed. Going back to this picture of kite surfing and band, if you can come on up now. In John chapter four, Jesus said that God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. I thought about this wind and kite representing spirit. And there's times you're just lifted off doing things. You're going, this is crazy. This is out there. And I think of the ocean as like truth, this this it's changing and it's there, but it's it's foundational. And you always keep kind of returning to it as a kite surfer or else you're in real trouble. And there's this spirit and truth that we're to worship in parts that we just go. This is out of our control and really scary. And parts of it that is like this is firm and foundational and there. And there's this living, breathing relationship aspect to it all. Here's the Numenots Creed. I will keep hanging on no matter what. Jesus promised suffering. Jesus promises hard times ahead. They didn't know it, but Jesus knew it. Nero was coming. The spirit was moving. And they weren't going to be hanging on in their little upper room for long. Just having Bible study. (laughs) They were going to be floating away to who knows where. Number two is I will go where the wind leads me without question. I love the picture of a kite surfer because are they in control? Not really. They kind of steer and cooperate, but it's a dance, isn't it? The wind dies down. They're a little bit in trouble. If it picks up a lot, they're in for quite a ride. Finally, I will trust that the wind has my good in mind. I will trust that the spirit has my good in mind. If it looks like this guy's jumping over a shark, it's because he is. Right at the moment of needing wind, I guess he popped up. But to know that there's a different perspective that God has on our lives than we do. I'm up here in the wind, Lord. I sure wish I was down there in the water. No, you don't. Trust me. Hang on. Here they are again, in case you want to write it down. Hanging on no matter what. Going where the Spirit leads without question. And trusting that the wind, the Spirit... That God has my best in mind in all of this. We're going to sing a song called Overwhelmed right now. And the reason I wanted this done is because I want to never lose the wonder as a church, as an individual child of God, that I've been invited into relationship with God at His beckoning. I want to close with something Jesus said in John chapter 3, talking with a guy named Nicodemus. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. He says the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. Catch this part. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. You know what Nicodemus's reply was? How can this be? Lord, would you amaze us this week. Would you open our eyes, God, to the unseen spiritual mysteries that are all around us. God, we want to stop talking about the Bible. We want to stop talking about the Holy Spirit. We want to run some plays, God. We want to get in the game. I thank you and praise you, God, for the stories that I'm hearing trickling from amongst the community groups and amongst people in this room of ways that you're moving, steps of faith people are taking, and they're saying, no way, this is not me. This is God alive in me, working in me. We're a people born of the Spirit. 
You've given us untapped, unperceived at times power and wisdom and insight such that we, we can shame the wise of this world with our simple message, our simple lifestyle, our simple devotion to our Lord and King Jesus Christ. We love you and praise you for the confirming work of the Holy Spirit that joins with our spirit in crying out to you, Daddy, Father, we love you. God, help us even as we worship right now to catch a glimpse of who you are. Amen.